This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. Scripture is Romans 7, 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to these, to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old written code. So at our house, we've had this tree issue going on. I told you about this tree issue. So uh, uh, about a year ago, maybe, some time ago, we had a big storm and a branch fell off, the first branch. And so we're like, okay, uh, just thankful that it was okay. But this tree is leaning a little bit. So we were a little concerned about it. And then, remember, four months ago, we had a tornado in Massaponics. You guys remember that? Like, we actually had a tornado. And in that, the top part of the tree was just taken off. It was like God snapped it, took it, and then placed it in the one spot in our yard that didn't destroy anything. And like, like maybe one or two pickets on the fence. So we're like, dear God, thank you, right? Because it could have hit the roof. It could have taken out the deck. Worse, it could have done something to our neighbor. And uh, our friends over at Project 516 Ministry, we love those guys, they just showed up the next day, cut that thing up, and took it away. But we're looking at this tree, and it's doing this, and it's not facing in any good way. There's a fence, there's the neighbor's deck. We're like, we got to get that thing down. And then, you know, a week or so ago, we had a Hurricane Dorian, the start of the season. Like, I'm just having this conversation with my friend David. Apparently, he's an arborist. I didn't even know that he was an arborist, and I had never said that word before speaking to him. He's like, I take trees down. I'm like, well, let's get this tree down. So next thing you know, this guy shows up solo, climbs up my tree, and he puts that thing on the ground. So I'm impressed, right? He puts it on the ground, nothing is destroyed. So that's the successful taking down of a tree, right? No one is hurt and nothing's destroyed. But a tree is not just a trunk. How many branches there are on a tree? I never even thought, I've never put a tree down. There's branches everywhere in my backyard. It's not a complaint. I'm thankful. Nothing's been destroyed. 
I'm like, we got to get these branches down. So I'm like, David, what are you doing, man? Can we help me? I'll help you out. Let's get these branches out. So uh, that's my plan, is that on Friday, we're going to get all the branches out. We'll worry about the trunk later. Well, I get a text on Thursday from Wayne. And Wayne says, hey, Gordon, let's hang out and get breakfast. I'm like, Wayne, I can't get breakfast with you on Friday. I got to get this tree. It's not really a one-on-one time. If you want to help get this tree out, we can do that. He's like, great. Send me your address. I'm like, Wayne, you were at my house last week. What do you mean, send me your address? He's like, Gordon, I've never been to your house before. Like, Wayne, you were at my house last week, and then it hits me. I'm not talking to Wayne from church. It's a different Wayne in my context. It's a Wayne that I see like twice a year that I only know from a coffee shop. He's like, I'll help you come get the tree. I was like, dude, you don't have to. I didn't mean to enlist you to come to get all these branches out. He's like, dude, I'll help you. I'll be glad to help you. So Wayne shows up, and we start hauling all these, uh, br- all these limbs to the front yard, and he's like, Gordon, you look like you need to eat a cheeseburger. What have you been doing? And I was like, well, I've been running. I'm getting ready for the Richmond Marathon. And, uh, and he's like, are you trying to qualify for Boston? I'm like, I am. And I said, well, they've made it harder this year. I've got to find five minutes somewhere. And he goes, that's your problem right there. I'm like, dude, you're supposed to help me with my limbs. I don't know what you're doing. He's like, I hear the limiting belief in what you've said already. Have anyone ever used that expression around you? Limiting belief? He's like, I hear your limiting belief already. Where are you going to find five minutes, Gordon? You're going to run for three and a half hours and pick up five minutes somewhere? You're already talking like you're not going to do it. Like your expression is already limited by the way you say it. You can't talk that way. So we have this back and forth conversation about the nature of believing you can do something and actually doing it. Now listen, I can believe I want to run a marathon all I want. If I don't train, it's not going to happen, right? It's not. But if I line up and go, this is going to be a miserable experience, it's probably going to be a miserable experience. If you are a parent, you've told your kid this. Your kid goes, today's going to be awful. And you're like, you are correct. You have decided that today is terrible. I'm going to do awful on that test. You probably will, right? Like, there is a relationship somewhere between what we believe and what we do, but it's not magic. I'm not bending the universe to my will if I go, like, today's going to be great, right? So there is some connection between what we believe and what happens. The question is, what is it? What is the connection between, and we'll put it in spiritual terms, what's the connection between a belief and obedience? What's the connection between believing something and actually doing it when it comes to your relationship with God. Well, fortunately, that's what Paul is talking about in Romans today. He's not talking about like, oh, God has told me not to do something again. And he's not talking about, let's just all be happy and skipping all the obedience either. There's some relationship between the two. And I think if we can get this, we might be happier people. I think if we can understand this, when God says do something or don't do something, we're not going to have that kind of attitude to it. Like we might actually believe there's something good that God wants us to do and we're able to do it. This is new though. It was new in the first century. It's new in 2019 too because we often just approach obedience or disobedience with hard work and grunting it out and we don't really know the connection between faith and obedience. We need a new way and that's what Paul's going to do here. Our big idea is this. A new way to serve God. A new way. Even though it's been in the scriptures since it was written in the first century, it's still a new way because that's what Paul calls it. There's a new way to serve God, and I want us to all start right now with this new way. 
Now I'll go ahead and tell you the three ways right here. Here, there. here are your three new ways right here. First of all, we all need help serving God. Everybody, right? We've all like, I can't do this. I need help. I just can't do it by myself, right? Second, God creates a community of people who serve him. Good thing you need help. He made a community so you don't have to go it, lo- go it alone. And then the third way is our service is spirit-empowered. Now listen, if we get this, you're going to be a different person when you leave here. If we can get this, the next time you hit that ugh moment, you're going to remember, wait a minute, I need help, I've got a community, and the Spirit's going to help me. And it's going to transform you. And we're going to pray that God does it. I'm going to pray again. I never do this, but I'm going to pray again. Because we've got to get this. It'll make us not be tired. It will have, give us some joy, and we'll be different people. Real quick, Father, this is what you just told us in Romans, that this is a new way. So right now, I pray that you would help me preach this passage and you would help us to serve in a new way that's spirit-empowered and joyful. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's the thing. We need some context because Paul is going to talk about some stuff that doesn't make any sense to us because he's going to talk about Jewish people obeying the law. I don't think I have any in this crowd. So when we talk about first century Jews obeying the law, that's not our context. So let me tell you a couple of things that's going to be helpful. First of all, the Jewish people are the people that God said in the Old Testament, hey, you're mine. And these people grew up together from Abraham going forward, and God said, hey, you're my people. And he gave them laws, some to-dos and some to-don'ts, right? And believe it or not, people are talking about this today in our culture. They are. People are talking about it today in our culture. They'd love to pick out, hey, why didn't you do this law in the Old Testament, but you focus on this law? So I need to give us a little bit of background. Hang in there. There are three types of laws in the Old Testament. It's not up here. I'll give it to you, okay? There's three types of laws in the Old Testament. There's moral, there's civil, and there's ceremonial, okay? Let me explain what they all mean real quick, okay? A moral law is like the Ten Commandments. It's a law that reflects God's character. Like, hey, you shouldn't lie because God doesn't lie. You should honor your parents because Christ honored his father. You shouldn't steal because God doesn't steal, right? Those are moral laws, okay? And then there's civil laws. That's how the the government of Israel functioned, like almost like a, a, a government, right? A civil law would be like this. Hey, if I borrow money from you, I got six years to pay it back, but on the seventh year, you got to cancel the debt. But I owe you for those six years right? That's a civil law, and that's the way the government of Israel worked. The third one was ceremonial, and that's like, hey, I'm going to go make a sacrifice at the temple for my sin, but I've got to be clean. So God said, hey, eating shrimp and shellfish, that makes you unclean, so don't do that, and then go make your sacrifice. Those were the three types of laws. So real quick, which one of those laws matter today, all right? Well, the New Testament tells us. Moral laws, always, Always. Like God's character doesn't change. So it's always wrong for me to lie to you. It's always wrong to not honor a parent, right? Civil law. We don't have to do those anymore because we don't live in the government of Old Testament Israel anymore, right? The people of God are much larger. It's now inclusive of the church. So you don't have to worry about those the laws about borrowing from you and me, and it's a bunch of them, right? Ceremonial law. We don't have to worry about being clean or unclean or making sacrifices because Christ was our final sacrifice. So when Paul's going to talk about the law, he's going to talk about all of that, okay? Moral, we still do. We don't have to do civil or ceremonial. If you've got questions about that after the service, grab me, okay? 
That's our context. You guys ready to jump in? We had to do all that to jump in. What we're talking about now is a new way to serve God, right? And the first thing we need to know is that we all need help. Now, Paul is getting ready to make an, an illustration, and he wants us to understand it. This illustration is an illustration of marriage. He's going to use marriage. Now, this is all he's talking about. He's not talking about divorce. He's talking about marriage. This is his illustration. Okay, you ready? Here's what he says. He goes, listen, do you not know, brothers, from speaking to those under the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives? He's like, okay, remember that law? As long as you're alive, that law is binding on you, okay? To, for it not to be binding on you, someone's got to die. And he makes his illustration. For a married woman's bound to law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. And that makes sense. Two people are married. They're married. If one of them dies, not married anymore. Tracking with me is a really simple illustration, right? Two people are married, and they stay married. If someone dies, they're not married anymore. Now Paul adds another wrinkle. He says this. He's like, he says this. I got notes up here too. He says, uh, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband's alive. Stop. Husband, man, husband and wife. Husband and wife are married. They're married. If one of them chooses to go live with someone else while they're still married, that's called adultery. That's also one of the Ten Commandments you're not supposed to do, okay? It's very simple. Husband and wife, if one of them leaves and goes to live with someone else while they're still married, that's called adultery. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, and if she marries another man, she's not adulterous. Again, that makes sense. Husband and wife, married. If one of them chooses to go live with someone else while they're married, that's called adultery. But if one of them dies, you can go get married again. Okay, does that make sense? This is a very simple illustration, okay? Now, what Paul's saying, remember at the beginning, he says, I'm talking to you guys about the law. So in the law, the only way you're released from the law is someone dies. Someone's got to die for you to be released from that law. Now, there's an element here where we have to realize how much help we need. Because we could never obey the law. We were never good at it. All the commands of God, like we just couldn't do it. No one could do it. But we're bound by that law. Unless someone dies. Unless someone dies. Someone had to die for us to get help to obey the law. So everyone gets it in the analogy? Husband and wife? Like if one of them dies, you're free. We need freedom because we can't, we have not figured out how to serve God. We just can't do it. We're too sinful. Okay, that's our first point. This is how we're going to get to getting some help. So, here's our help. God creates a community of people who serve him. Okay? Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Okay, this is awesome. You died to that law because Christ died. When he died, that penalty of the law was taken away from you so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead in order that might, you might bear fruit. Who do you belong to now? You belong to God, don't you? You belong to one another. The body of Christ, the body of Christ. You belong to another. God's creating a community of people who belong to God who can serve because Christ died. When he died, 
That means that he obeyed every single thing. Now, how many of you were racked with guilt and shame this week over something you did or you didn't do? Not asking for hands, okay? Okay? Some of you this week, when it came down to disobedience, just hated yourself. You did. Couldn't stand yourself. You know that you returned to that sin you returned to again. You're acting like you're still married. But you're not. Remember the illustration? Someone's got to die for you to be freed? You're not. You see, God doesn't want us to be racked with guilt and shame and hatred for ourselves. He wants us to be convicted of our sin, of course. Like when we sin, we recognize that's a sin. But he wants us to confess it and enjoy the freedom that God gives us. He wants us to enjoy the work of the Spirit. He doesn't want you to feel condemned. He doesn't want you to feel shame. He doesn't want you to feel racked with guilt. He wants you to feel convicted, and then he wants you to confess that sin and walk in that new freedom. You now belong to another. You now belong to your Heavenly Father, and you belong to the body of Christ. And you're no longer beaten up by that law. Going on, to him who is raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Bear fruit's weird language. But bearing fruit for God means you can obey now. Like you don't obey out of guilt. You don't obey out of con- condemnation. You're now obeying God. Why? Because you want to. You want to. Like when a tree bears fruit, why does it bear fruit? Why does an apple tree bear an apple? That's what apple trees do, right? It just, it just bears fruit. Why? Because it's what apple trees do. It just does that. Why do you obey? Because that's who you are. You obey because God has transformed you to do that. The Christian, why does the Christian obey? Because that's just what Christians do. We don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it out of condemnation. We don't do it out of shame. We do it because we have now been made new. We now belong to another. We now belong to one another. Verse 5, while we were living in the flesh, that's the past tense, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit. Before we knew Jesus, before we had a relationship with him, we just bore bad fruit. Our, our emotions, they just got uh, aroused in a desire to sin. He's letting you know that with Jesus, now you have a desire to obey. Before you knew Jesus, you had a desire to sin. I, what I love here is this body of Christ language. We, we talk about this when we take the Lord's Supper. The body of Christ means two things in Scriptures. The body of Christ is, of course, Jesus Christ dying for us, right? But the body of Christ is also the people of God. And so there is a relationship here between Jesus dying for us and the work of the church working together for us to obey. Like when you look at that body of Christ, you can look it up, and, and the, the, the commentators and folks will say, which ones is talking about, Jesus or the body of Christ? And it's a little bit of yes for it. Our penalty has been paid because Christ died, but we also belong to another. We belong to our Heavenly Father, and we belong to one another. You cannot do this alone. Solitude is death before God, always. 
Like if you're like, you know what, I'm just going to try to be the free agent Christian, or like you're going to die. You really are. You're disconnecting yourself from what God has given you to help you bear fruit. What's the old expression that we're only as safe as our secret sins? Now what God intends for us to do is to be longing to one another, belonging to Christ, receiving the help that we need so that now we can obey. Let's zero in on this third point, because this is really where we begin to get hope, okay? We know we need help. We're in a community. But now our service is spirit-empowered. But now we're released from the law. doesn't mean we're released from obeying God. We're released from the penalty of the law. If you have faith in Jesus, you're not going to die because of your disobedience. If you have faith in Jesus, there's not eternity in hell to look forward to. There's eternity in heaven to look for. When you are freed from the law, you're released from guilt, shame, and condemnation because Christ took the guilt, shame, and condemnation for your sin. So again, I'm going to be redundant. When you think about your sin, when you know God has commanded us to do something or prohibited us to do something, when it pops into our mind, our temptation is, I am miserable. I am worthless. I hate myself. But those are not the thoughts that the Spirit wants for you. The thoughts the Spirit wants for you are, I've sinned, but my gracious Savior will forgive me and transform me. Yes, it takes a lot of boldness to walk in conviction of sin and to walk away from it, but you are released from the law. Having died to that which held you captive. What held you captive? Your sin. Your sin held you captive. You were a prisoner of your sin. You were a prisoner of the law. You just couldn't do it. But you've been released from it. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. That's what we're going to get to right there. The way we're all supposed to obey the way we're all supposed to serve is in a new way, but not in the written code. Let's talk about what it looks like to serve in the written code for a minute, okay? To serve in the written code is, ugh, I cannot do this. God's commands don't make any sense. To serve in the written code means to sometimes listen to our culture and go, they seem to be making sense. And we think God's commands are silly or out of date or antiquated or racist, or homophobic, or whatever the case may be. And we seem to disregard them. That's serving by the written code. That means we're only looking at the letters, not understanding the spirit that's intended. For a young church, what happens when you're serving by the written code? I gotta set up again. I can't believe I've got to do this again. That's serving by the written code. That's written by the letter. It's written by the obligation. What does it mean to serve by the spirit? What does it mean to serve by the Spirit? The Spirit brings what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. Serving by the Spirit means you serve out of love. I do this because I love these people and I love my Savior. What you guys don't get to see when I'm leading worship here is this cute little row of kids singing. It is the cutest thing in the world. 
And they're looking up and they are singing. And you guys have served them a gajillion times in the nursery. And you've been tired of serving them in the nursery. And you've been tired of setting up and taking out. I know you have. But I see this cute little row of kids who are worshiping their Savior. Serving out of love says, you know what? I am tired. And if I can get a break, I'll get one. But I do it because I see these little kids loving Jesus. Serving joyfully. If you're not joyful when you're serving, you just got to say, Father, help me. I'm just not joyful to do this today. And your pastor has done it too before, I promise you. The written code will always beat you up. It's true. It's right. But the Spirit will give you joy and enable you. Let me give you a couple. Let me give you some compare and contrast in written code versus serving the Spirit, okay? Serving in the written code is effort. Serving by the Spirit is faith. Your effort will always run out. You will always grow tired. The one in whom you have faith will never grow tired. The written code is effort. Serving in the new way of the Spirit is faith. Serving by the written code is appearance. Serving in the new way is heart. You know what that means? It means I've got to make sure that everyone thinks a certain thing about me. That's certain by the written code. That's the kind of things that Jesus showed up and, and just absolutely, absolutely condemned. But the heart is, I, I do this because God has transformed my heart and I want to do it. I'm unconcerned about what I look like. I'm just serving my Savior. Serving by the written code is reputation. Serving by the Spirit is transformation. I had to get one rhyme in there at least. I want everyone to think good of me, think well of me. But the transformed heart serves because that's what the tree does. It bears fruit. The tree just bears fruit. When Christ said, come all you are weary and heavy laden. Remember that verse? Hey, if you're tired, heavy laden means there's a lot on your shoulders, right? It's an imagery of like an animal who carries a lot, like a beast of burden. Like, if you're tired of service, if you're tired of trying, come to me, and then what do you say? He said, my burden's light. My burden is light. So when we're just absolutely worn out, we have to ask the question, why are you so worn out? And don't get me wrong, this is a pastor who took a six-week sabbatical over the summer. I understand. I do. I do understand that we get tired. But it's necessary for us to ask, am I serving out of the written code or am I serving out of the new way of the Spirit? And if we can't figure out what that looks like and serve in the new way of the Spirit, we have got to get together. All the young guys and gals here, we've got to find the, the older Christians here. and like, how have you done it? How have you served Jesus for 50 years? How have you raised a family like this? Teach me. Teach me. All the wonderfully mature women in this church have got to grab the younger women. And say, like, listen, don't take this as advice or condemnation from me. I'm just going to teach you the mistakes I made and help you avoid them, right? We've got to get together and just say, this is, when, this is times in my life when I served by the written code, and it ate me up. But God doesn't tell us to obey so that we will be miserable. That's not the point at all. 
If we're miserable, more than likely we're serving out of the written code. More than likely we're serving out of effort, appearance, and reputation. If we're serving in the new way of the Spirit, then we're serving by faith, by the heart, and by transformation. Let me begin to move us towards a conclusion here. Let me remind us of these three ways, okay? There's so much we could talk about this passage, and we're going to talk about more next week, but this would be good father to get together this week with me or anyone else you want to have this conversation. But first of all, there is a new way to serve God. There is a new way to serve God. First of all, we've got to remember, we all need help. Everybody, the most mature among us needs help. Probably the most mature among us recognizes they need more help than anyone else. Doesn't work. You don't get more mature and need less help. You get more mature and realize you need more help, okay? We're, we're born into a community. God gives us a community, a body of Christ, where we can do this together. You're not alone. But when we get together, it's got to be encouraging and not commiserating. When we get together, we've got to encourage each other to serving God and not just commiserate about how hard it is. Marriages are hard. Parenting is hard. Serving at church is hard. It's all hard. We live in a broken world where things are not as they should be. That's why we need to serve by the Spirit-empowering work of what Christ has done and the Holy Spirit residing in our heart. Now, if you're here with us for the first time, if you haven't remembered, I end the sermons in this way. I give you a truth, an application, and an action. So what I want you to have is I want you to have one truth you can just count on this week. An application is live knowing this, but then we got an action. Like, let's do this, okay? So here it is. Here's our truth this week. Knowing that sinners are helpless and alone, God creates a spirit-empowered and obedient people for himself in the church. God knows that we are helpless and alone without him. He knows that. Because of that reason, what he's done is he's created a spirit-empowered and obedient people. He didn't save you alone. He saved you into the church. Because he knows that we need help. You cannot do this alone. That's why we have the church. That's why our church breaks up into EG groups, into smaller groups, so that we can get together and have these conversations in intimacy. This is why we have folks getting together one-on-one for discipleship. It's why we have these things, because we cannot go it alone. Solitude is death when we're trying to serve God. It is. Here's an application. Let's do that this week. Live knowing that you are not alone in your struggle to obey God. Hey, all of you people struggling, you are not alone. You just aren't. You think you're the only person struggling to obey. You think you're the only person who is really, really sinning. You're just not. I wish you were that special, but you're just not. You're special, but you're not that kind of special, okay? We're all struggling to obey God. But live knowing that you're part of a spirit-empowered community who loves you and wants to encourage you. Live knowing that the people here want the best for you in Christ. Live knowing that God has put the spirit in someone here to give you the encouraging word that you need. Know that. Now our action is really specific this week. It's two things. Here it is. Here's your action. Don't give up on obeying and don't give up on your church. When you have tried to obey, when you think you don't want to obey, when you say that's just not who I am, don't give up on obedience. Don't. God has given you a community, a church, the scriptures, the Lord's Supper. He's given you so many things to help you. Don't give up. Don't think I'm just never going to be able to obey that way. Don't give up. And don't give up on this church either. As imperfect as we are, 
We're still meeting in a gym. It still gets hot in here, all these things. There's a sweet group of people here who love Jesus. And imperfect people are going to hold up grace over the written code every single day. Do not give up. I know that presently in this crowd there is someone here who is thinking, I am never going to be able to obey that command. It's just not who I am. You know what they are. You know whatever it is. You just think, I'm never going to be. Don't give up. Because when you're talking that way, you're talking about effort. You're talking about, oh, I can do. But God has given you the Spirit. He's given you the Scriptures. He's given you this community. Obedience is what? A long walk in the same direction, right? Like, I got a long ways to go here with Jesus. And obedience means I'm just going to keep trusting God. I'm going to pursue the scriptures. What did that time of repentance say? I'm going to ponder what is good. I'm not going to ponder what's evil. I'm going to have integrity in my house at home. I'm going to have integrity with my house to church. Friends, I'm just saying, please don't give up. Please don't give up. You haven't struggled yet to the point of death. God has given you all that you need. You may not feel it right now. You may not know where it is. But we're going to pray that God would enable you to find intimacy in this community. We have people here who have struggled with everything. I just don't know of a unique sin here in this crowd. And I'm thankful for that. Because God has given a unique grace for every one of those sins. Let's pray. Let's pray that right now God would replace that effort and struggle of the written code. He replace it with a spirit-empowered joy and obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is... Uh, uh, there's a lot in this passage. There's so much that we could talk about. I pray that you would, through your Spirit, make these meager words enough. That we wouldn't give up on glorifying you. That you would replace our effort and struggle of the written code with a Spirit-filled hope. Make us like Jesus. Father, now as we worship, as we take the Lord's Supper, please, 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 would you receive glory as we are transformed? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.